Church, my name is Ashley. Before we begin worship today, I want to take this moment to inform you about what's happening on the Hill. If you're tuning in online, drop us a comment below. We always love hearing from our online family. For those here in person, well, there's nothing like corporate worship. If you're new to Shelby Christian today, we would love for you to stop by our I'm New wall. That's the big orange wall in the lobby. You can't miss it. We would love to meet you and we even have a gift for you. If you adopted an angel this year, the gifts are due back no later than December 13th. Ladies, it's the best time of the year to purchase those tickets for Fresh Grounded Faith. Jennifer Rothschild, well-known Bible teacher who has been at Shelby twice, will be in Lexington April 12th through 13th. Get tickets now at the discounted price of $49 for the weekend. Available during the week by calling the church or on Sunday mornings at the back of the worship center. Our discipleship pastor, Bobby Woods, will continue our Christmas series this week, Advent Conspiracy. He will be talking about spending less and its importance. Can we encourage you to consider a few things in preparation for this series? Log on to adventconspiracy.org. There you'll find a ton of family-friendly activities for the season. We also want to encourage you and your family to light an Advent candle each week in the anticipation of Christmas. Parents, just so you know, our children's ministry will be providing some materials as well to make this season a memorable one. We will have four Christmas Eve services this year. Here are the times. Can we encourage you to grab some invitation cards and bumper stickers on your way out? Help us reach our community with the Christmas message. Each year, we use the Christmas Eve services as a time to collect a special offering we call our Together Initiative. This will help our outreach team for the coming year to allocate funds where they are needed. You will be seeing red envelopes close to our offering boxes in the coming weeks. We've also made it easy to give online and through your mobile phone. You can use this QR code by scanning it with your cell phone. It will send you to our Together webpage. You can also text to give by texting TOG in the amount to 502-200-1152. By simply filling out the quick registration, you'll receive a text confirming the transaction. And as always, you can give through the website. All three ways are safe and secure. Later in the service, you will see a video of how your financial support affected our ministry partners this year. Please be praying about how you can financially bless our Together Partners for the coming year. We're about to start worship, but before we do, let's celebrate this baptism from last week. Good morning, church. Right in the middle of Christmas season, right? As you stand to your feet, we're going to worship the Lord this morning. You know, Jesus came the first time, and he was gentle like a lamb. But his next time that he comes, he'll be coming on the clouds, and he'll be coming in victory. And he'll be riding a horse, amen? He's going to be coming in victory and in glory. Let's just sing about the lion and the lamb this morning. Coming on the clouds. 
Every chain will break as broken hearts declare His praise. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him.
Michael shared with us the candle of hope. So without hope, we don't have a lot, do we? But even more so, without faith. Without faith, what do we believe in? We've all taken separate journeys. Everyone in this room, there's a lot of people here. Your journey is different than my journey. Very much different than my journey. I can assure you that. And as the Jewish people had prayed for years and decades for a Savior, for a Messiah to come, He finally came. But He didn't come like maybe they expected. The skies didn't split open. The earth didn't shake. It was in a manger in Bethlehem. This Advent candle is called Bethlehem's candle. And it's purple like the one from Hope. And it signifies preparation for a coming king. So let me ask you just a simple question this morning as we enter into the second week of Advent. How's your faith? How's your faith? And maybe more importantly, who is your faith in? I can tell you what, I've got a lot of people that are close to me, a lot of people that I trust with my life. But they let me down. There's people that have trusted in me, and guess what? I've let them down. But the Son of God, Jesus, lets no one down. The only person we can truly put our faith in, the only person that we can believe in, have confidence in, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you so much. And Father, we pray that our hope, our faith, our whole lives are grounded in you. Because we're human, you created us, and you knew we would fail, and we have. But God, we try hard as a people of believers, a a group of believers. We try so hard to keep our faith in you. And so God, I just simply ask that as we enter this Christmas season, that we not get caught up in the lights, and the trees, and the gifts, and the stuff. But that God, we'll get caught up in our faith and draw closer to you. And the babe you sent in a manger that gives us a path home. It's in Jesus' name.
shout Jesus from the mountains and Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. And Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name. Jesus, oh, shout Jesus from the mountains, and Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus in this place. Yes, Jesus. 
He's worthy of all praise. God, we just invite you to just continue to inhabit the praises of your people, Lord.
God, be in this place. Be in our hearts, Lord. Be in our worship, Lord. There's no one deserving of the highest praise other than you, God. So, God, would you just anoint, Lord, your speaker today, Lord. May the word go forth. Be planted in our hearts, God. This Christmas season. We love you. And we all prayed in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. You can be seated. I'm Bobby Woods, discipleship pastor here at Shelby Christian. It's so good to see all of you here. Um, A mother was telling her children about the poor orphan children that lived in their city. And she said, these children have very, very little on Christmas morning. In fact, they don't have a mother or a father. They don't even have aunts or uncles. Would you children like to give anything of yours to them this Christmas? Well, the kids kind of huddled together and discussed among ourselves, and then they announced their decision to their mother. We have decided to give them our Aunt Martha. (laughs) I got kind of in trouble last Christmas because my wife, I asked her what she wanted for Christmas. She said, surprise me. So three o'clock in the morning on Christmas morning, I shook her awake and said, surprise. (laughs) Not really, or I wouldn't be standing here. Um... Now, we often go through life assuming that a little is good, then a lot must be better. This happens often on holidays, like Thanksgiving, we just finished celebrating. What seems to create this notion that if I had just a little bit more, I'd be satisfied. The reality is, we eat and we eat and we eat and we can't move, then four hours later, what do we have? Leftovers. The fact is we overindulge with more than just food. I mean, people can overindulge in video games and Facebook and tweeting and exercise and TV, streaming and golf and hunting and fishing or spending. As human beings, we have the capacity to binge and overindulge on almost anything. I would like to invite you this morning into the conspiracy with me. So you find your inner rebel today and conspire with me as we take the next step forward in this Advent conspiracy. Last week, Ray taught about worshiping fully, the first thing that we should do at Christmas time. And in the next two weeks, we'll consider giving more and loving all. But this morning, I want to talk about spending less. Now, I'm going to be totally honest with you. Like Ray said last week, I'm a spender, okay? My wife is a saver, I'm a spender. So you gotta understand there's sometimes a little tension in our marriage. So this message is as much for me as it is for you. And we're gonna be looking this morning in Luke chapter two and Matthew chapter two in your Bible. So if you wanna get ready for that. A few years ago, I read this story about something that supposedly happened in St. Louis, Missouri. Apparently, someone stole the doll that represented the baby Jesus in the manger scene downtown. The next morning, a television newscaster announced in a somber voice, 
someone has stolen Jesus. Last night, someone went to the manger scene here and stole the baby Jesus. This morning, Jesus is missing. If any of you out there have any information about where Jesus might be found, please contact this station immediately. We are most anxious to recover Jesus and put him back where he belongs. Now, many of us who look at the Christmas story today and ask what happened to the real Christmas story. Once this mother was having a gathering to celebrate the birth of her newborn son, she invited a whole bunch of friends over to celebrate his arrival. She welcomed her guests in. They had a great time celebrating and eating and drinking. But after a while, one of the ladies at the party said, well, where's your baby? Bring him out. The mother went to get the baby from the crib, but he was nowhere to be found. She started to panic and feel fearful, but then suddenly she remembered that the baby was still at her parents' house where she had left him that morning. She and the guest had been having so much fun that they had forgotten what the party was about in the first place. And it is Christmas season, and we shouldn't get so busy celebrating that we forget the birth of Jesus Christ. Amen? Who stole the baby Jesus? Does anybody know how we can recover him and restore him to the place where he belongs? That's why we decided to do this series called Advent Conspiracy. Now, that doesn't sound very Christmassy, does it? I know it didn't to me when I first saw it. Conspiracy is a unique word to use around Christmas. It conjures up all kinds of thoughts What's the thought that comes to mind when you hear the word conspiracy? Did we really land on the moon? Were there really two shooters on the grassy knoll? Ultimately, we think nut job when we hear conspiracy, don't we? But we must be conscious of the fact that not all conspiracies are the result of Fruit Loops pooling the collective paranoia. A conspiracy, by definition, is a gathering of people who are conspiring or planning together to rebel or even overturn the powers that be. Now, what's that have to do with Christmas? Well, let me show you this morning. It's in the gospel. Let's start in Luke chapter 2. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. Now, this is a very comfortable story. We've heard it so many times and so often, but comfortableness can sometimes get in the way of hearing the real message of Scripture. The Christmas story for many 
is a comfortable story. But the reality is the Christmas story is not comfortable and not meant to be so. It is a really dangerous story which took place in a very dangerous time. See, rebellion was at the threshold of Rome when Jesus was born. Jesus was born in the time of the Caesars. And we can't be exactly accurate on the exact day that Jesus was born. There was no historian there who, who wrote down and declared, we just left B.C., now we're entering A.D. The Roman Empire stretched from India to England at this time. And then all of the known world at that time was under the power of Rome. In 27 BC, Octavius became Caesar and called himself Caesar Augustus, which means majesty, deity. He's now the man. He was a genius ruler and peace came under Caesar Augustus and the people there loved him. He was trusted by the people. People thought he was going to bring about a golden age. At this time in history, there was something in the state religion. It was called the religio. It had roots in mythology. Not everybody believed in the Greek gods and goddesses, but they often continued to participate in it. The religio was non-negotiable under the rule of Rome. And it was something called the superstitio, which meant this. You could do whatever you wanted at home. Worship anything you wanted, including your dead relatives. But publicly, you had to participate in the religio, the official religion of Rome. So publicly, you had to participate in the religio, but privately, you could enter your superstitio practices. You see, Julius Caesar, just before Caesar Augustus, had been declared divine, a god. And while Augustus never called himself a god, he did make sure everybody knew that he was the son of Julius. And as the adopted father, it made sense that he only, he also would have been a god. Coins were stamped in that day with the words, salvation can be found in none other than Augustus. The apostle Peter preached in Acts 4, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You see, this religio was on a collision course with those Christ followers. This movement they believed, based on Jesus' resurrection, that he was actually the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Peter wasn't worried about being politically correct. He took a very politically charged statement by Augustus and made a very powerful statement about Jesus. This was the making of a conspiracy. This was fodder for rebellion. This was the stuff people in the future would be killed for believing. See, the problem for the early Christ followers was they refused to join into the official religion of Rome. So they were seen as rebels against Rome and the official religion. They were openly saying, Caesar is God. Francis Schaeffer said, you weren't killed in those days because you worshiped Jesus Christ. Christians were killed because they were rebels. 
Their acts were considered as treason. They were considered rebels. And if you are a Christian today, you come from a long line of rebels. How many of you are rebels this morning? So Augustus Caesar called for a census, which is just another word for a tax. Everyone was required to return to their ancestral hometown. Joseph is from Bethlehem, so Joseph and Mary would have been required to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, about 90 miles. Now, ladies, can you imagine being nine-month pregnant riding a donkey for 90 miles? Now, what do we know about Bethlehem? It's just a very small village about five and a half miles south of Jerusalem, between the mountains and the wilderness. It's a little sleepy town, not a very kingly place. But scriptures had foretold that Bethlehem would be the place of the birth of the Messiah. And we see that in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, when the prophet wrote 700 years before Jesus was born these words. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. God is saying, my Messiah, my son, my answer to the problem will enter the situation and he will be born in Bethlehem. This is good news for all of us. I read this story about these men that went to this all-you-can-eat barbecue rib place. Now, I love ribs, okay, but, but they're very, very messy. I mean, barbecue sauce always gets all over my face and my fingers underneath my fingernails and on my clothes. I always spill stuff on my clothes. Dirty napkins seem to pile up next to half-eaten bowls of baked beans. And so when this group of men had eaten all they could, they paid their tab and walked out the door. The driver, getting to his car, reached into his pocket for his keys and came up with nothing but lint. Panicking, he looked in the car window, hoping that his keys were still in the ignition but they were empty. After thinking for minutes, he figured out where his keys were. Only minutes earlier, his precious keys to his house and his office and his car had slid off his tray into the tray of barbecue bones which had traveled into the trash can. He realized his friends weren't gonna do the dirty work for him, going through the dumpster, fishing through bones and beans and barbecue sauce and coleslaw and cake and used napkins. He dove into the dumpster, opening all these bags until he had a slimy thing all over him from the trash. But he found his keys. And on the way home, he passes by this house with this beautiful light display. And he thought about the dumpster diving God. You see, our God, who left a pristine, sinless heaven to come search through the filth and the rubbish of this fallen world for something so precious to him, us. Now, let's turn to Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, this was written. Let 
Okay. Now that Jesus after was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You see the problem here right away. There are going to be two kings. Herod the Great was one of those kings. By blood, he was an Edomite, an Arabic group who had only recently converted to Judaism. He was well-connected, trusted by Caesar, and was given authority over the land. He was wealthy and considered by most standards successful. He had embarked upon a great building program in Jerusalem. He especially restored the temple itself. But he was hated by all the Jews. And these wise men who are coming from the east, most likely from Iraq or Persia, because the king of Jews wasn't going to be born in Herod's house, Herod was angry. Jesus wasn't, was instantly seen by Herod as an enemy. Herod was a very paranoid person. If he thought people were speaking about him negatively, you were executed. Think about how he felt when he heard the words from the wise men from the east. Herod even had 10 wives. He only loved one, but he had her executed too. He actually had two of his own sons executed because he believed they were trying to steal his throne. He wasn't a safe guy to be around. So when Herod asked the Jewish leaders and scholars about the king of the Jews, where he was going to be born, he was told Bethlehem. Herod tries to trick the wise men by telling them to come back to him when they found the king so he could go and worship him also. But of course, the wise men were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. And after Herod figured out that the wise men weren't going to return, he ordered his soldiers to go in and slaughter every boy two years old and younger. This would have included the killing of Jesus had they not been warned to flee and go to Egypt. Over time, this little baby, this God in flesh, began to change things. Heart by heart was changed. Things got turned upside down. It happened without threats. There was no violence. It came through a transformation of the hearts of people. Philip Yancey called this a revolution of grace. So a question I have for you. In your personal world, What are the Caesars in your world that demand your worship, your money, your time, and affection? You see, all those little Caesars lie to us. They tell us if we have this or buy that, then we can celebrate the Christmas well. We may say we don't even really think happiness comes from spending a lot of Christmas, but we justify spending a lot because we feel obligated maybe to jumpstart the economy. That's wrong. That's just circular logic. It's really just the religio. I want to encourage you to spend less less this year. Don't buy into the religio. Please understand, I'm not saying that you shouldn't spend money or give gifts at Christmas. I mean, I love getting gifts. This is often the most misunderstanding point of the four weeks of the Advent conspiracy. 
I'm not saying start spending nothing on gifts or don't get children presents. Actually, giving gifts is ex- excellent. It reaches back into the wise men giving gifts to Jesus. But the question is, how much is too much or not enough? Don't make this a matter of critiquing or judging one another or the church as to how well we're doing this point of spending less. Clarence Johnson was a preacher and social activist, was once taken on a tour of one of the greatest churches in America. As the tour guide brought him to the very front of the church where he could look up at the altar, he was told by the tour guide, do you see that cross? It's a solid gold cross. It was donated by one of our wealthiest members in memory of his wife. That cross, Mr. Johnson, which is covered in gold leaf, cost over a million dollars. Clarence responded, shucks, there was a time you'd get a cross for free. We should understand that the call of Christ is a call to sacrifice. We should be willingly abandon conspicuous displays of wealth that waste God's money. So what I want to ask you to do is this. Will you have an honest conversation with your family and friends about this? What do we expect from our stuff? The prophet Isaiah said, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? You see, all the stuff we get should really be stamped with dissatisfaction guaranteed. Why? Because none of it lasts. If we live in the kingdom of more, we will always think that having more will bring us more happiness, but it never does. When we live believing that if a little is good and more is better and a lot more is the very best, then we will always live with regret and chasing after more because for you, the best will just be out of reach. To avoid this, we need to rebel a little. Join the conspiracy, walk a different path, take a different journey. For some of you, spending less is obvious. You're wondering why we even talk about it. But then there are those of us who do seem to spend more. While there are things we can and possibly should give up this Christmas, there are certain things we should never give up. Hope, dignity, love, trust, life. Christmas is more than stuff. What if Christmas meant we stood for something? Years ago, when I was in seminary, I had to take four different semesters on preaching classes. And I became very familiar with a preacher named Fred Craddock. It was Fred's books and watching his sermons that I loved learning about telling stories while I preach. He once told the story about his uncle who had rescued a greyhound dog from the racetrack. Now, if you've never been to a greyhound race, the dogs are released from a gate and there's a rabbit and it runs along the rail and the dogs see the rabbit and they chase the rabbit and each other. Now, the rabbit, of course, is fake. But when these greyhounds finish their racing days, most of them are put to death. 
but some are adopted as pets. Fred said, I visited my uncle there and there was this greyhound dog that he had just bought lying in the middle of the floor, playing with the kids. They're rolling on the floor, hugging the dog. The dog's licking their faces and they're having a grand time. Fred said, I looked at the dog and said, dog, how come you're not racing anymore? Have you gotten too old? The dog answered, nope, I'm pretty young dog. I'm still young enough to race. So Fred said, dog, maybe you weren't winning races anymore. Is that why you're not racing? Nope, said the dog. I could still win races. I'm faster than most of the dogs out there. I was winning right up until I stopped racing. Well, maybe you weren't making enough money for your master, Fred said. Oh, no, said the dog. I was making a lot of money for my master. Then why did you stop racing, asked Fred. The dog responded, because one day I realized that the rabbit I was chasing wasn't real. Sadly, I think that is true for so many people in this world. They are chasing rabbits that aren't real. But unlike the greyhound, they don't realize that their rabbits aren't real. We're not saying Christmas is bad, but we're saying there's a better way, a more meaningful way. Let's say no to some of the things that don't really matter, but yes to stuff that really matters, stuff that lasts, yes to what is real, yes to Christ, yes to the gifts that God has given us. Let's leave here today committed to living and laughing and giving and being different than we've ever lived, laughed, given, or been before. But remember, as we join the conspiracy, as we rebel a little, let's not be proud or arrogant in our way of approaching Christmas. Don't lecture or shame friends and family when they don't see Christmas like you. Rather, remind them of how God slipped into this filthy, dangerous world and turned everything upside down in one heart. Now it's almost time to move. Today, I'm challenging to look at your life and ask, are you chasing the right thing? This should show up in your life, your giving, and most of all, your eternal life. Right now, we as a church are looking towards our Together initiative. This is where we try and raise enough money for our mission giving for our entire year. And we fund so many different missions throughout the world and right here in our community. You will find red envelopes by the offering thing. But you can also scan that QR code or go to shelbychristian.org or text that number to give. We have so many easy ways for you to give. We're about to watch a short video now from some of our partners we help fund. Hi, I'm Gerald Terrell, Executive Director at Father's Love, and I wanna thank you all for your support of Father's Love this year as a Together Partner. Uh, what we do at Father's Love is we serve kids from elementary through high school. We have after-school programming for both groups. Uh, 
um, after school programming for elementary looks like an education portion to help them to build their foundation of education in reading, writing, and math skills. Uh, then we have a kids' church portion, and then enrichment, where we invite the community in to share their gifts, their talents, their skills, their career, so that we can expand the, the dreams of the kids that we serve. Uh, for high school, it operates much like a, a family, um, at a youth group, where they come in and they get a hot meal. We spend time together talking, getting to know what's going on, going on in their life, and then we connect with them. Uh, with we connect them to the Word of God. And um, during the summer times, we also have summer camps where we spend a lot of time outdoors, uh, exp experiencing the beautiful world that God has created. This year, we took over the backpack program that has been in our community for 18 years, and we're so grateful for the opportunity to make ensure that any kids in our community that face food insecurity. Uh, we'll have food over the weekends and be prepared to come to school the next week. Thank you so much, Shelby Christian Church, for giving to the Together Initiative. Hey there, Shelby Christian. This is Roxanne Perry with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I'm the Area Director for Greater Louisville FCA Southeast. We cover Shelby, Spencer, and southeastern Jefferson counties. And I just wanted to come to you today and just say thank you so much for your generosity and donating toward the Together offering. Right here in Shelby County, we've got a lot of FCA activity going on. From huddles that go on at three, three high schools, two middle schools, a couple of elementary schools, and we're growing in that. We also have character coaches in over a dozen teams where young people are hearing the gospel through community partners each week through their season. We also pass out hundreds of Bibles, and all of these things would not be possible without your giving. So thank you so much, Shelby Christian. It is so appreciated. Now it's time to move. Some of you will be going up here to the different communion stations and picking up your, your communion elements. Some of you need to get a red envelope. Some of you need to move over there to the cross and to pray. And some of you need to stop chasing rabbits. And you need to chase that which is real, Jesus Christ. And this morning I'll be down here and Jason will be over there by the baptistry. Just come down. And let's get you connected with Jesus. Let's stand and we'll move this morning.
Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. So as often as we eat of it, we remember him. Then Jesus took the cup and he blessed it. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you. So as often as we drink of it, remember him. On Christmas morning, I challenge you to kneel down and declare, whether you have a little or a lot, that Jesus is King, Jesus is Lord, God is God and Caesar is not. As we spend less, it frees us up from anxiety and we can give them more of our time and resources that really matter. More on this next week. As we spend less, we can help the world's most vulnerable and empowering ministries all over the world to respond to critical needs. Now, I just told you not to spend too much. However, (laughs) 
Men, a good Christmas present for your wives is tickets to Jennifer Rothschild, which she'll be in Lexington um, early next year. Kim is be in the back, and she will be selling tickets. So, guys, go back there and get yourself a wife a Christmas present. That's something that matters. So, go love God, love people, and watch Him change the world. Have a good week.